Good morning, everyone. I'm Meredith Dancos. I'm the teaching pastor, and I am so excited that it's Christmas. Are you excited that it's Christmas season? It's December? Okay, I have a question, though. How many of you put up your Christmas tree before Thanksgiving? Yeah. How many of you think that that's a crime? Well, I have to tell you, I put up two before Thanksgiving. And some of you feel like Thanksgiving gets a bad rap, but this is how I see it, actually. It's kind of like this. October 1 to 31, Halloween. November 1 to 27, Christmas. November 28th, Thanksgiving gets its own day, you know, and then the rest of it's Christmas. So Christmas is great. And even I've, I've put together a little Christmas scene here for you. But here's the thing. Christmas is the most wonderful time of the year, and it's magical, and it's wonderful. But imagine if we started taking that stuff away. Like, let's cut the music. Okay, so no more Christmas music, right? And then, you know, we've got some stockings here, but, like, you don't get to put stockings up at Christmas, and Santa goes away, so we don't have any Santa, and you know, we sang about like mistletoe, and I know some of you really seek that out this time of year, but we're going to get rid of that too, and those candles burning low, nope, none of those, and no presents, no presents during Christmas, what if we got rid of all that, and then, you know, the snow and ice, some of you are like, let's get rid of the snow and ice, there's plenty of it out there right now, but we're going to get rid of this snow here, and you know, we're going to take the star off the tree, and the tinsel goes away, too, so you don't get to deck, deck your tree or deck the halls or trim your tree. And then, you know, we, we end up taking the lights off, too. And you end up with, like, this really kind of dreary, sad-looking table here, right? That doesn't look very nice. Kind of feels like what it feels like outside right now with all that sleet and rain and snow. And, you know, all these things do make Christmas wonderful, candles and presents and snow and ice and mistletoe and all of that's wonderful. But here's the thing. Our Christmas story actually starts looking out a lot more like this, like this dingy table with no lights and nothing really special. Because imagine the month of December, if you took away all the lights and all the decorations, it's kind of the worst month of the year, right? It's dark and it's dreary and it's sad and it's gray, and it's pretty lackluster. And that's actually really more reflective of how our Christmas story starts. See, our Christmas story starts way back in ancient Israel. And Israel was the chosen people of God. They were supposed to be the special set-apart people that were going to be blessed by God to be a blessing to the world. And they were given this special way to live, but they failed. And they, they ended up disobeying disobeying God and betraying God, and God withdrew his protection and his presence, and they ended up exiled and conquered, and now they're living under Roman occupation. When our Christmas story starts, in the land that was supposed to be theirs, their promised land, now they have these captors, and they have to follow their rules and their laws, and they don't, they're not in charge anymore, but there's these promises. There's these promises that God is going to come and make something different. Let's look at some of these promises that Israel is holding on to, these promises of deliverance. One is from Zephaniah, and it says this, Sing, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O Israel. Be glad and rejoice with all your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem, for the Lord will remove his hand of judgment and will disperse the armies of your enemy. And the Lord himself, the king of Israel, will live among you at last, your troubles will be over, and you will never again fear disaster. On that day, the announcement to Israel will be, Cheer up, Zion, don't be afraid. 
For the Lord your God is living among you. He is a mighty Savior. He will take delight in you with gladness. With his love, he will calm all your fears. He will rejoice over you with joyful songs. And you can hear this promise. God's going to come. He's going to rescue you. Yes, you have enemies over you. You've been exiled and your land's been taken from you. And you have people who don't treat you well. But, but cheer up. God's going to come and he's going to be mighty and he's going to save you and it's going to be great. And then we're, we're told this. The day, in, in Jeremiah, he says, the day will come, says the Lord, when I will do for Israel and Judah all the good things I have promised them. In those days and at that time, I will raise up a righteous descendant from King David's line. He will do what is just and right throughout the land. In that day, Judah will be saved and Jerusalem will live in safety. And, and this will be its name. Our, our, the Lord is our righteousness. And so they're promised that God is going to come and send them a mighty Savior known as the Messiah. And this is, what, this is how the Messiah is described to them in Isaiah. The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. For those who live in a land of deep darkness, a light will shine. For a child is born to us. A son is given to us. The government will rest on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. His government and its peace will never end. He will rule with fairness and justice from the throne of his ancestor David for all eternity. The passionate commitment of the Lord of Heaven's armies will make this happen. And see, so they're promised this ruler is going to come, this king. You, will, you won't be subject to someone else's king anymore. You'll have your own king again. But here's the thing. The kings that they had in the past got them into this problem, right? The kings that they had before all their leaders led them all astray and went the wrong way and did the wrong thing. And so now they're in exile and they're saying, no, you're, God's promising you're going to get a king who's going to make everything right and he's going to rule with justice and love and Israel will be at peace. And all of these promises are great except for there's one problem. It's been over 400 years since these promises were given. And the people who are living in darkness right now, who are experiencing exile and Roman occupation, they weren't the ones who disobeyed. They weren't the ones who were following those kings. They are now subject to the consequences of someone else's action, and it has been so long since these promises have been given, 400 years since it felt like God was even moving or doing anything, that they feel distant and they feel faded, and it starts to feel a bit hopeless. Like, yeah, I know that those promises were given, but they don't, they don't feel like they're happening anytime soon. And then when we start our Christmas story, we have a couple that mirrors the state of Israel, this longing but kind of feels like it's hopeless and nothing's on the horizon. And so when we go to Luke, and Luke is one of the accounts of the life of Jesus, Luke starts off by talking about this older couple, and it says this, In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah and his wife Elizabeth, who was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all of God's commands and decrees blamelessly. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive, and they were both very old. And so both Zechariah and Elizabeth are from priestly lines, so they're from this elevated status. And then we're told they are righteous before God, not just before people, right? It's not just that they're doing the right thing in front of people, but before God, they keep the commandments. They are blameless, but they are childless. And this begins to speak to the bigger 
problem of humanity, that this couple who comes from this lineage and who is of this upstanding character is childless because this was the promise given to Israel. If you listen to these regulations and faithfully obey them, the Lord your God will keep his covenant of unfailing love with you as he promised with an oath to your ancestors. He will love you and bless you and he will give you many children. You will be blessed above all the nations of the earth. None of your men or women will be childless and all your livestock will bear young. So Elizabeth and Zechariah meet the qualifications for that. They, they should not be childless based on the promises that were given. If it's you do the right thing, God will bless you, right? That's how we often think the world works, but they are not. They have not received this blessing. And here's the thing, being childless in this day and age is a huge deal because this is an inheritance-based society. And so it means that their family line ends. It ends, and that is a really, really big deal. And what they show us is the state of humanity, what is often referred to as the curse. And what that means is that sin and, and the effects of it are not limited to the deserving and the undeserving, right? Those who deserve to be cursed, they, they experience the curse. And those who deserve to be blessed, they experience blessing. It's humanity is in a bad state. Sin has taken over. They are often, we're, we're told that we're held captive, that, that, we, that we're prisoners to sin. And so Elizabeth and Zechariah, they, are, they, are, they, they mirror this hopelessness of Israel because now they are old. Now they're beyond childbearing years. And so Christmas, our Christmas story starts in darkness, in longing, in waiting. Israel is waiting for deliverance, but it's been so long that they don't even, they don't even know what that's going to look like or when it's going to come. And Zechariah and Elizabeth longed for a child, but now they, it seems so, so far gone. And maybe that's where you find yourself as we start our Christmas journey. Maybe you are in a season of waiting and longing, and you're looking and you're hoping God's going to show up in your life, but you're not really sure because you haven't really seen any signs of it. Or maybe there's something that you're desperate to have change or be different in your life, and you just don't know how it's going to get there. And it feels like, where's God? Does he see me? Does he remember me? And maybe it feels like things are hopeless, but as we journey through our Christmas story, I hope that you will see, especially today, there is always hope on the horizon. There is always hope on the horizon. Because even at the beginning of our story here, we have a hint that God is at work because Zechariah's name means God remembers. And Elizabeth's name means the oath of God. God remembers the oath of God. And we're going to see that that's at work here. So what happens? Once, when Zechariah's division, so Zechariah's a priest, in his division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense and when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. So what's happening here is twice a year, the priestly divisions would come, all of them would come to Jerusalem for a special worship service. And, and there, were, there were 24 divisions of priests and over 18,000 priests. So there's a lot of priests there. Okay? And, 
and Zechariah's division is on duty. And then what they would do is they would, they would cast lots. It was this random way of selecting people. And part of it was this belief that God's will would then be revealed because it's this, we're not in control, right? So they cast lots, and Zechariah gets chosen. And what is so crazy is Zechariah gets chosen for a literally once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. Because out of all those 18,000 priests in 24 divisions, only twice a year, someone got selected to go into the holiest of holies in the temple. And they got to go and they, they burned incense. They went in alone. And it was considered a high honor. And once, once you got selected, you could never do it again. And some priests went their whole life and never got selected. Zechariah is very old, and this is the first time that he has been selected. So he gets to go into the temple, this holy of holy, for this very special honor. And God has a surprise for him. God has a surprise for him. So we read, Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. He will be a joy and delight to you, and, will, and many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And so this angel shows up on the right side of the altar. And that's, a, that's an important thing because the altar represents the presence of God. And to be on the right hand of something is to be an authority. So this is, this is someone who has authority from God. And the, the word angel simply means messenger. That's what it means. So God has sent this messenger with authority to tell Zechariah, great news, you're going to have a baby. That's so awesome. God heard your prayer. You're going to have a baby. Not only that, not only are you going to have a baby, which is going to be great for you, this kid is going to be part of the, the deliverance of Israel, of the fulfillment of that promise that you've all been waiting for, that you've been 400 years waiting and longing. You, you're going to play a part, right? And you think, man, that's pretty awesome. If an angel showed up and told you something that you're like, whoa, you'd probably be like, that's great. Awesome. How's this going to happen? Let's do this. That's not Zechariah's response, right? So Zechariah's response is this. He goes, Zechariah asked the angel, well, how can I be sure of this? I'm an old man and my wife is well along in years. Okay. So he's in the holiest of holy places in the temple, once in a lifetime opportunity. There's an angel, there's an altar, and he's telling him something that he's been praying for. And you think he responds, with skepticism, seriously, because it doesn't mean like, oh, yeah, how's this going to happen? It's like, he, what it means in the Greek is, what is the sign that I can believe this? Right? And you think, um, there's an angel, wouldn't that be the sign, right? Right there? But let's put ourselves in Zechariah's shoes, because what the angel says is really interesting. He says, your prayer has been heard. Your prayer has been heard. But here's the thing, Zechariah and Elizabeth are beyond childbearing years. This is not a prayer that Zechariah has been praying recently. This is an old prayer. This is a prayer that was probably prayed very fervently in their youth and prayed more desperately as they got older. And then they have resigned themselves to where they are. See, 
Zechariah might wish that things were different. He might wish that things were different, but he hasn't been waiting for this prayer to be answered. He gave up waiting a long time ago. And, and if we really want to understand the Christmas story and all that it brings to us and all of that it means, what it really means, what Christmas really means to us, we have to know the difference between wishing and waiting because they are different. See, wishing, wishing is basically resigned to the way that things are, but would like it to be different. I would like this to be different. I wish it were different, but I'm not expecting it to be different. Waiting, waiting is hopeful expectation. It is, it is expecting that it might not be so right now, but it will be different. It will be so. It's the difference between wishing someone would come visit your house Right? You might wish someone would come over and waiting for someone to come over. But wait, if you're waiting for someone, you're at the window, right? You're looking for them. You're expecting them. And the difference between wishing and waiting is essential. Because in this Christmas season right now, we are in the season that's known as Advent. And Advent, some of you might know that word. And some of you are like, I've never heard of Advent. Advent simply means arrival or coming. And Advent is marked by this season of waiting, waiting for Christ to come. We are keeping watch. And some of you have seen what's known as an Advent wreath, right? And it's this wreath with four candles, sometimes five candles, you know, purple, pink, and then sometimes a white Christ candle. And we light these candles and they, they stand for hope, peace, joy, love. All the things that Jesus brings at Christmas time, hope, peace, joy, and love. And so Christmas is marked by waiting. But many of us don't actually know what faithful waiting looks like. We have a lot of wishing in our lives, but we don't actually know what waiting means. And so I want to offer you some wisdom that Henry Nouwen brings about what does it look like to wait, to faithfully wait. He says this about the spiritual life. The spiritual life is a life in which we wait, actively present to the moment, trusting the, that new things will happen to us new things that are far beyond our own imagination, fantasy, or prediction. That, indeed, is a very radical stance toward life in a world preoccupied with control. He says, to be a spiritual person, to be a follower of Jesus, you are one who waits. We are waiters. We're professional waiters. That's who we are as followers of Jesus. We are waiting for God to do something new in us, for God to do something new in those around us, for God to do something new in the world around us. We wait. And he gives us three characteristics of what waiting actually looks like. He says the first is waiting is hopeful. Waiting is hopeful. And the reason why waiting is hopeful is because it's based on a promise. Waiting is based on a promise. He says this. Hope is something very different. Hope is trusting that something will be fulfilled, but fulfilled according to the promise and not just according to our wishes. Therefore, hope is always open-ended. See, see, wishing... Wishing is desiring a certain outcome, but with no guarantee. Right? There's no real expectation that's going to happen. I wish that this would be different. And sometimes we work to control that outcome because we wish that this would come about. But, but it doesn't have a guarantee behind it. Right? So there, there can be a little bit of a, a hopelessness that, that comes in when we start to wish for something. But waiting... Waiting is based on hope. And too often we use the word hope interchangeably with wish. Like, oh, I hope I get a million dollars tomorrow, right? That's a wish. That's not a hope. Hope is based on a promise. One of my, one of my professors in college used to um, define 
hope like this. He said, hope is faith for the future. Is faith for the future. And this is how Hebrews talks about what faith is. It says, now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. See, there is a confidence that's at the core of waiting because we have been promised something. Because we know that God is doing, that God remembers. So, so we're not just wishing for something. We're not wishful thinking. Hope is expectant waiting. Right? And so with that, the next thing about waiting, it's hopeful, but it's also active. It's active. Waiting is not just sitting around like twiddling your thumbs, waiting for something to happen. You know, you're just passing the time. That's not, that's not waiting. Waiting is active because you have a part to play. It's like waiting for someone to show up to your house. You pick up. You're on the lookout. You're listening for the doorbell, right? And Henry Nowen says it like this. He says, active waiting means to be present fully to the moment in the conviction that something is happening where you are and that you want to be present to it. A waiting person is someone who is present to the moment, who believes that this moment is the moment. See, a wishful person is someone who can escape into fantasy and start to think about, well, maybe this might happen, or, you know, I really, really hope that this would happen, and I'm not using the word hope the right way, you know, because it's not based on a promise. And then we start to think, oh, well, we can also start to get discouraged and disengaged from the moment when we're in wishful thinking, because we're not sure that it's going to happen. And we desire it, but we don't see any way forward. And so we actually become more passive when we're in wishful thinking. But waiting is expectant. Waiting is on the lookout. Waiting is saying any moment, any moment now. God is up to work in any moment it could happen. And so I want to stay present to this moment and to this moment and to this moment because I don't want to miss it. So waiting is active because we know it will come to pass. It keeps us alive and awake and attentive. But along with that, waiting is hopeful. Waiting is active, but waiting is also patient. Waiting is patient. And Henry Nowen defines patience like this. He says, it's a willingness to stay where you are with anticipation that something will happen. A willingness to stay where you are with anticipation that something will happen. And trust is at the core of waiting. So this is, this is a quote that he says, people who wait have received a promise that allows them to wait. They've received a promise that allows them to wait. They've received something that is at work in them, like a seed that has started to grow. This, very, this is very important. We can only really wait if what we are waiting for has already begun in us. So waiting is never a movement from nothing to something. It is always a movement from something to something more. See, when we're in wishful thinking, we want to control the outcome. We start trying to manipulate things or make it work the way that we want it to work because we, we desire activity now and we want it to come out a certain way. But waiting can be patient because at the core there's trust that this has already begun. It's already at work. It's going to be fulfilled. Right? And so I can trust that it might not look the way that I expect it to look. It might not happen in my own timing but it's already begun. It's not that I'm I have nothing and suddenly there will be something. It's that there's something and it's going to grow and it's going to grow and it's going to grow because God is faithful, because God remembers. Because God
God remembers. And so Zechariah, when we first meet him, he's wishful. He wishes his life had been different. He wishes that they could have had a child, but he wasn't waiting. But this, this interaction with the angel and this new story, this Christmas story, moves him from wishful into the realm of hope and into the realm of waiting. So what happens? Zechariah says to the angel, you know, what's the sign? What's the sign going to be that I can know that this happens? Well, he gets a sign. The angel says, you're not going to be able to talk until the baby's born, like now that you doubted me. And so he comes out, and he's totally mute, and he can't talk. And people know something happened in there because he was in there for a long time, and now the guy can't talk, and he can't tell anyone, right? So he's waiting, and then what the angel promises happens. Elizabeth is pregnant. She has a child. And then this child is born, right? And he's been mute the whole time, right? And the child is born, and at, the, at a circumcision ceremony eight days later, they've got to name the child. And Zechariah can't talk. Normally the father names the child. So they're asking Elizabeth, well, what's the name going to be? And she's like, it's going to be John. Because Zechariah somehow communicated with Elizabeth what they need to name the baby. And they go, well, you don't have anyone named John in your family. You can't just name the baby John. We're going to name him Zechariah, right? And then Zechariah starts motioning and says, you know, motions to give him something to write. And he writes down. His name is John, which is astounding to everyone because they're like, why are you naming this kid John? That doesn't make any sense. And as soon as he does that, he can start to speak again. And this is what he says. It's called the prophecy of Zechariah, and this is what he says. He says, praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he said through his holy prophets long ago, Salvation from our enemies and from the land of all who hate us, to show mercy to our ancestors and to remember his holy covenant, the oath he swore to our father Abraham, to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the path of peace. And you hear the echoes of the promises? Deliverance, forgiveness, peace, freedom, hope, Savior, Messiah. It's all there, right? But here's the thing. Zechariah is like, God's done this awesome thing. God has redeemed us. God has saved us from our enemies. None of that has happened yet. Nothing has changed other than a baby was born, Zechariah can talk, and, and there's a promise. It hasn't happened yet. They're still under Roman occupation. They're still living in the land of darkness. But Zechariah has moved from wishing for deliverance to waiting for deliverance. He's not wishing for it anymore. He's waiting because he knows God remembers his promise. God's promise is being fulfilled even if I can't see it all right now. It is if it has already happened. I'm on the lookout. I'm waiting for God's deliverance. And, and while they're still living in darkness, what he's saying is the light has broken in. The light has broken in. And here's the thing about Christmas. We don't actually know when Jesus was born. I know some of you might be like, what? He wasn't born on December 25th? How do you, didn't they keep records back then? We don't know when he was born. We don't know the exact date. But the early church leaders 
decided to, to remember the birth of Christ during the darkest season of the year on purpose. Because they want us all to remember the light has broken the darkness, whether you see it or not. So even in the darkest time of the year, we put up lights and we remember because we are waiting, not wishing, we are waiting for what God is going to do. They wanted us to remember. And see, hope, hope is faith for the future. Hope is that trust that God is on the horizon. And it is central to Christmas. It is central to Christmas. And I have recently experienced a profound way of understanding the difference between wishing and waiting. Someone has taught me this lesson. Um, And forgive me, I'm probably going to get pretty emotional here. My friend Karen, I have a a picture of her right here. My friend Karen uh, just recently passed away a couple weeks ago from cancer. And um, I've known Karen for years, and she was a remarkable woman. Karen was an amazing mother. Uh, She was an amazing believer of Jesus. She was a world-class triathlete and competed all over the world. Um, And she was an author. And she struggled with cancer for as long as I knew her. And she had a lot of miraculous moments, a lot of moments where it went into remission where it shouldn't have. And she was able to share her story and, and her faith in Jesus. And she even went on the Today Show and shared her story. Um, she, she was amazing. Uh, but as she came to the end of her life, she wrote these, these words I'm going to share with you in just a moment, um, just a couple weeks before she passed. And um, following her journey, she really stretched me. And I, I actually, it's long. But I want to share her words with you because I think they embody hope and they embody the true nature of what it means to wait on God, not just to wish for God. And so these are are the words that Karen wrote just two weeks before she passed away. She says, the deep waters surround me. I'm lost in the sea of emotions, trust, faith, anger, wonder, weariness. No longer am I sure that I can push through. How can my Lord and Savior allow this much pain? I now understand how over days, months, years of torture, one's faith in God can waver. Pain changes brain chemistry. Lack of sleep adds to the leaking of joyful worship. How do we survive? Love. Love in the form of family, friends, and strangers who reach out for a moment in time and become the hands, feet, heart, and mouthpiece of Jesus himself. Love in the form of a breathtaking sunrise, changing leaves, laughter, music, sweet whispers in the wind. Love in the greatest story ever told, the Bible, a treasure trove of truth, hope, and victory. Love is the way, the truth, and the life. Love is the only way out of the deep waters. God's love has been pouring down amidst the darkest nights of my life. Still, I wish I knew when, what, where, anything, so I wouldn't just have to lay here and wait. It is so difficult for an athlete, go-getter, and yes, a micromanager type A like myself, to not be able to do what I routinely have done without thinking twice, to not be able to plan ahead. And so these days I force myself to look past the dust bunnies under the chairs that surround me, the bowls in the sink, the bed with wrinkles, the hairs in the tub, the spider webs that decorate the doors, 
Why did all that matter so much? Why does it matter at all today? The truth is, it does not matter. Here, at the precipice of life and death, I lie truly awake. God is faithfully exposing my weakness, my sin, my challenges, the way the worldly accolades held court, assuring me I was worth something. But God was always saying, you are worth everything. I just didn't hear it. And now I do. He is the only one I need to please, and he is already pleased. There is nothing more I could do to make him more pleased. It's the same for you. He is pleased with you right this very minute. Whatever you are facing, believe that God is doing a mighty work. The circumstances can seem dire at times, but God knows what he's doing. It is often when it seems like he has given you more than you can handle that you cry out, Dear Lord, I need you. I surrender to your will. And at that perfect moment, he overwhelms you with his love and begins to reveal his great plan. So trust him, praise him, and be grateful that he loves you so much. He is in the business of building us up, dropping the weights, stretching us, maturing us, deepening our faith, giving us the gifts and the strength we need for the higher ground he's preparing for us. I'm not saying this is easy. There are times when my faith wavers and I need help. It is then that I reach out to my fellow prayer warriors and ask them to come alongside me and lift my arms. Prayer is so powerful. We need each other. If you need prayer, dare to ask. God is listening. As I lay here in what some call a hospice bed, I have come to realize that it is a healing bed, a blessed miracle bed. I am being born anew, and I am in awe of God. I am full of peace and joy despite my circumstances. In fact, as I delve deep, I realize that this is the most peace and joy I have ever had in my life. It took all this to bring me to this place of utter and complete love. My praise is so great. To God be the glory. Make time for God, and then make more time for God. He's waiting for you with open arms. In fact, he's with you right now. Karen left behind so much that she wanted to do. She left behind three boys that she's never going to see graduate from college or marry or have children. She left behind the love of her life, Peter, um, who, who just adored her. She had so much more she wanted to write and say and tell. But here's the thing about Karen. She didn't die wishing for her healing. She died waiting for her healing because she knew even if she didn't see it this side of heaven, her healing would be complete in Jesus. And so she died with expectation. And I can tell you, I'm, I'm still grieving her. My world is a little darker for Karen not being in it. And I think the world overall is a little darker for Karen not being in it. She was just someone who shone so brightly. But her faith continues to shine on. And her hope continues to shine on. And her waiting continues to bring perspective and hope to all of us. And it reminds me of these words by Ann Voskamp. And she says this. Struggling and rejoicing are not two chronological steps, one following the other, 
but two concurrent movements, one fluid with the other. Struggling can deepen joy, even though, even now, even though the fig trees have no blossoms, and though the Christmas tree aches a bit empty, even though there are no grapes on the vine and no struggle-free days, even though the love crop fails, even though I fail, even though so much fails, even now I will rejoice in the Lord, even though, even now. The secret of joy is always a matter of focus, a resolute focusing on the Father, not the fears. And that is why at Christmas time, we put up lights. And we rejoice in the beauty and we put up tinsel. We light candles. And we give presents. And we even hang out mistletoe. Because we remember. It's not to deny the darkness. It's not to distract ourselves from the darkness. It's not to pretend that it's not there. It is to remember that even in our darkest moment, even when we can't see it, the light has broken the darkness. And we are a waiting people who are looking out on the horizon. And we are expectant and we anticipate that God remembers, that God is faithful that God knows his promise. And so we put up lights in hope. And so I want to ask you, this Christmas season, what, what are you waiting for? Not what are you wishing for. What are you waiting for? What are you on the horizon looking out for? Maybe it's physical healing. Maybe it's relational healing. Maybe it's financial help. Maybe it's meaning and purpose. Maybe it's something to do with growing your faith in God. What are you waiting for? And so each week, we're going to give you an opportunity to respond. And this week, so each week, we'll have these snowflakes out in the lobby. And I really want to challenge you. I know sometimes you just, like, rush out, right? You're like, i got to go get lunch. I'm starving or whatever. I don't want to talk to anyone. I don't want you to rush out today, right? You don't have to talk to anyone. You can just do it. But there's, there are these snowflakes out there. And what all I want you to do, there's pens. You write down, not what do you wish, what do you wait. His wait is based on a promise that God remembers, that God knows you, that God is at work in your life, that you are already enough, and that God has not, even if it feels like God is quiet, God is not quiet. God is at work. And so I'm going to challenge you, write it down, and then you fold it up if you want, or just leave it there, we'll fold it. We're going to be hanging these throughout the whole series, and I hope that we have so many of them that we have to hang them all over the ceiling, like everywhere, that we have so many snowflakes. But today, take a moment before you rush out. I mean, it's slippery out there anyways. No need to rush. Uh, and write down what you are on, what you're looking out on the horizon waiting for because you know that God is faithful and God is active and God is at work. Let's pray. Gracious God. Thank you for this Christmas season.
thank you that we do get to see beautiful things and we can rejoice in them, Lord, and they lift our spirits and we sing joyful songs and we remember who you are, Lord. But most of all, thank you that you are the light that has broken the darkness. Thank you that you are a God who remembers and you are a God who is at work. Thank you for the witness of Karen and that we know that her healing has been completed in you, Jesus. Lord, I pray for each one of us that we would be a people who wait, who are active and patient and hopeful because we are looking for what it is that you are already doing in our lives because you have promised you will never leave us or forsake us. So let us continue to keep watching this Christmas season. We love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to invite us to stand up and respond in worship. And we're going to sing a song about how we are no longer slaves to fear. And we're no longer slaves to sin because God has come to deliver us and make a way for us. <laughs> 